Kick it. You can migrate a database. You can't stand your coworker's face. Your manager committed some code. Sadly, it failed under load. You can build an app in Ruby on Rails. But your neighbor is clipping their fingernails. Oh, soft skills, engineering. All your problems, they are disappearing. Oh, soft skills, engineering. Nothing good rhymes with engineering. It takes more than code to be a great engineer. This is the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. And Jameson is also on vocals and guitar. I am on vocals and guitar. I made a new song. It was beautiful. Thank you. I I labored for minutes over this. <laughs> Literally minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, it many, was great. Many minutes. I also just now uh, got the look from my wife. Apparently, I, I woke up our baby. Oh, I can't think of a better song to wake up to. Yeah, that, that's true. Like, wouldn't you want to wake up to, um, I, let's call them like high school freshman level guitar skills. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is one step above playing Wonderwall. <laughs> well, you, guitar oh, people ahead. have all these inside jokes about songs that are like supposed to be easy or <laughs> yeah I think, that, I think that was one of them it it is one of them they're like the party songs that you would go play at the high school party to impress people with how awesome you are mm-hmm. and wonderwall is one of them okay it's good to know so i can play that next time I'm yeah if party. you want to impress people at a party bust out the wonderwall so do we have questions today jameson we have questions if you want to impress people at a college party tell them you listen to soft skills engineering <laughs> use the information you're about to gain i will read the first question uh so the question is should i be a specialist or a generalist uh, my current dilemma as a software engineer is do i focus on an area for example front end and get really good or stay broad and keep learning a bunch of different areas now, this question came from Twitter, not directed at us, but we're going to answer it anyway, right? It did, yeah. And you you have better name pronunciation skills. Uh, this came from a Twitter friend of mine named Preeti Kasuretti. Preeti, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, but um, probably should have asked before I said it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. But Preeti Kasuretti, I think, is, uh, is probably the correct pronunciation. Thank you so much for asking this question to the Twitterverse. Jameson and I have talked about it a lot, and we would love to take a shot at providing our input. Mm-hmm. First, uh, let's talk about what generalist and specialist mean. How do you define those? That is really hard to define, I think. Um, but there's several like layers of generalist and layers of specialist. So clearly, if you only want to know one programming language, that would make you a specialist in that language, right? Yeah, which is fine as long as you pick the good language. The one, the one that I'll tell you. After <laughs> the podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you later. Yep. Um, it's COBOL. <laughs> uh, so clearly that would be a form of specialist, but I don't think that's very common. 
I think people tend to specialize more in a genre, like an area, like say backend web development or frontend web development, something like that. Do you think that's right, Jameson? Yeah, that's my impression. I think usually specializing in that genre ends up as spending most of your time in in a specific language or framework. But I think you're right Mm -hmm. that it's driven by, I want to do this kind of work. So I I want to do backend work, so I'll learn Ruby and and Rails um, versus I really just want to write Ruby on Rails and that's, that's my jam. In the backend web world, there's also specialization that can take place based on the deployment technologies that you use. And by deployment, I mean like the infrastructure that you use. Like, for example, Windows stack versus an open source Linux stack. That's, um, you know, two very big divides in the backend world. Uh, There's .NET specialists and then used to be called LAMP. I don't know what they call the Linux stack these days. I mean, the L is, is still in there. LAMP, it's still Linux. I, I mean, tons of stuff is still built on LAMP. It's just not, it doesn't have the buzz anymore. Almost all the other letters are gone. Like it was Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. That was the original LAMP acronym. Yeah. And I think the only letter that's really popular in web development still is the L for Linux. <laughs> I I think it's still just as popular. It's just not, no, nobody's writing blog posts about it. Oh, that's probably true. The, the cool factor of the name has worn off. Um, yeah, so I... I like the model of like I'm I specialize in databases or distributed systems or or some uh kind of more broad I'd say more more solution focused thing versus uh, a specific programming language that to me it feels yeah. like what specialization means. Yeah, I think you're right. About 5 about 13 years ago I met a guy who was a consultant and he specialized in Oracle database administration. Like that was his specialty Mm -hmm. and that's the service he offered and nothing else. And let me tell you, he charged a pretty penny for that service. Yeah, that's... It was very pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Give me your most luscious penny (laughs) and that will do for payment. We call those luscious Lincolns, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, after, after old luscious Abe. (laughs) as his college nickname (laughs) but now you know would i have hired this person to work on my dev team to produce a software product um well only if i needed an oracle database expert on that team right most teams don't need an oracle database expert uh and yet he probably did pretty well with that specialty yeah and I, i think we'll talk more about this but that gets at one wrinkle here which is specialization for consulting is vastly different from specialization for just working on a team at a, at a company. Mm-hmm. And if you are a consultant, it's so much easier to market yourself and to, to find clients that fit what you want to do. If what you want to do happens to line up with a very kind of particular technical specialty, which like is an Oracle interesting thing. paradox, right? Because here you are saying, I'm going to narrow my focus and cut off the vast majority of work that needs to be done. And yet suddenly you'll have more work. Anyway, we should, we should pause that. We should go into that a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell a little story about specialist versus generalist. So I've always considered myself a generalist who specializes in whatever the need of the day is. You know, so if I'm working on front-end web, and then I'm going to specialize in that for the time period that I'm working on it. But I worked with a friend once who um, considered himself to be a specialist, not a generalist, in uh, some area that doesn't really matter to this conversation, but... We were working together on a project and this opportunity came up to 
take our desktop application that we were working on and move it down into a, an embedded device and run it on this little embedded device. And as the company was pitching this idea to us on the engineering team, he said to the leader of the company, I'm not an embedded developer. And and he, he was saying that because he meant, I'm not going to be able to work on this. But in my head, I was thinking, oh, cool, we'll get to work on embedded, right? And and I I don't know if it was his specialist mentality that was making him maybe even subconsciously close the door on this opportunity to learn a new technology and do something new. So that really struck me. Yeah, that's... Um, I I kind of think of it like evolution and evolutionary pressure. And I actually I did do a fair amount of biology in college, but that was a while ago. I'm not a biologist. You're going to hear an idiot's interpretation of the theory of evolution. <laughs> um, basically, you a species adapts to pressure in the environment. There's something about the environment that that encourages certain characteristics. And so creatures with those characteristics survive and they become more prominent in populations. Uh, there's this famous example of this moth that uh, a bunch of factories built up around it and the moths like turned black because all the trees and all the all the all the stuff they lived on turned black from all the soot from the factories Mm -hmm. um but what happened was if i remember this correctly the factories went away all the soot went away and then they just got like gobbled up by predators so the the danger was specializing too much in in, re- in response to the technical environment you're in is that if that environment changes, you are now vulnerable, right? If the you are Oracle, prey. Yeah, if the Oracle <laughs> database person you talked about earlier, that's just all they do. They're so good at it. There were so much money to people using Oracle. And then Oracle goes away. Like, what do they do now? They, they just start over and now they're competing with people who have specialized in, in useful skills or who, who have generalized uh, to fit the question more. Or so, who have specialized in other skills. <laughs> Just yeah, you know. not useful. That's that was I didn't mean to say that. Oracle is a useful skill. Who specialize in skills that fit the environment better now? That happened. Yeah, that happened not to get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a risk or reward payoff where spe- specialization can allow you to uh, just be very valuable to people that really need that skill, and then when they don't anymore, you're you're in trouble. Oh, okay. The so birds like high... come gobble you up. Yes, the birds. <laughs> um, the predators, really. Yep. The, ape, the apex predators will eat you. I, I think those are, what are what are apex predators in this analogy? I don't know. <laughs> like. They're the elm community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Sure, I'll take that. Yeah, so that's definitely a risk of specialization. And I think that's actually why people talk about it because they're like, if I invest all this time and effort into mastering this skill, is it going to pay off? Well, look at, for example, in the JavaScript community, say you became the world's leading grunt expert. Mm -hmm. You are now a sad person (laughs) because everyone, all the mind share has moved on from grunt and grunt solves tons of problems for people still. And it's very useful and it's great. I'm not saying grunt is bad. I'm saying uh, the perception of like what's cool and what people should use is not grunt anymore. On the other side of that same coin, it's unlikely that anyone really made a killer living because <laughs> of their grunt specialist status, yeah. you know? Maybe. I mean, maybe a little, but 
uh, it's interesting how certain kinds of tools like Oracle or certain frameworks can yield a lot of benefit in a professional career, whereas others, you could specialize all day and no one would care. That's true. So maybe, I mean, yeah, Oracle is probably not going away. They have a lot of money. They're gigantic. Tons of people use them. So I, I guess that the danger maybe is like, they change their database technology or something. But if you're an Oracle specialist, you should be keeping up with that. So that shouldn't catch you by surprise. There's probably an inverse relationship between the amount of pain that it takes to deploy and maintain a system or a tool and the amount of money that can be made specializing in that tool. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But but my previous point was about, you know, like, like Grunt, like you could say, I'm going to specialize in regular expressions. Like no one will be better at string pattern matching with regular expressions than me. And it probably won't really yield you any substantial benefit in your career. It'll just be so good at parties, though, when everybody (laughs) pulls out their tricks and you're like, watch me validate this email according to the spec. And then you type it a computer for like half an hour. Yeah, like 3,000 characters later. And then someone comes up and types like some random new top level domain name and it breaks your regular expression. (laughs) Oh, damn. (laughs) and the occasional job interview. You'll just be the wizard, you know? <laughs> so um, so I think we've sort of defined generalist and specialist, and there's a lot of metaphors out there that I think describe the difference between generalist and specialist and how to strike the right balance. I think Jameson has heard of a few of these, and he told me a great one earlier. You want to share that with us? Yeah, there, there are two. So there's one main one that I hear the most, which is the T-shaped person. I think I heard this first from the Valve Employee Handbook, which we'll try and link in the show notes. And it's a fascinating read, uh, but it talks about someone who has broad knowledge, can do a lot of different things, um, but they, their knowledge goes very deep in one area. So if you kind of graph the, the kinds of stuff they know and how deep their knowledge is on that kind of stuff, uh, it, it ends up making a T. Like they cover a wide area and then in one part of it, they know a ton about it. Um, and that's, that's kind of an argument to do both where you can do a lot of things, but you specialize in something maybe to offer, uh, more value to people on, on that specific skill set. I recently read by, oh, Ken- hold on, hold on. Let's talk about the T. Oh, okay. okay. Were you going to move to the new metaphor? I well, not, not anymore. I'm going to save okay. it now. So I think just an interesting corollary to the T-shaped person, I think over time developers tend to be more like capital M shaped where, it's like they're a T and then the long part of that T, you know, you move on to something new and you develop another long, I don't know what to call that thing, the the vertical stroke of the T, you know, and then over time you have another one and another one. Like that's happened in my life where, you know, 10 years ago I was a C++ expert and I was going deep on the C++ and I knew the standard library and I knew weird multi-threading semantics and weird, you know, template metaprogramming and all kinds of esoteric deep knowledge. And now I don't use any of that. And so now I'm generating, I've been developing a new vertical brushstroke on my T, but it's like further over in time. Yeah. So maybe that happens. I don't know. You are the world's expert at interpretive dance driven project management where your bosses (laughs) ask you how the project is going and you just break out into furious, expressive dance. And everyone understands what you mean. And, and they just feel in their gut, like just in their in their soul, like, oh, the project is on time through the <laughs> expressiveness of your of your foot arches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. that, that's a pretty 
That was my second vertical stroke and valuable skill set. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, I think that's kind of like the other metaphor I was going to talk about. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kent Beck talks about the paint drip person where you're kind of drawing a paintbrush horizontally across some surface and then the paint will kind of drip down every so often as you're drawing. And that's the same kind of thing where you just keep learning new stuff all the time. And every once in a while you dive deeply into something. So you're specializing in a lot of different things. It's not like you just dedicate your whole life to one thing, um, but that changes over time. Yeah, I like that metaphor a lot. Yeah, maybe this is, uh, I mean, some people do dedicate their whole lives to something, right? We talked earlier um, mm-hmm. before we were, we were recording about kind of the CSS people. And I feel like that's an area where I see people who have been doing it literally their whole career uh, and, and it they're awesome at it and they continue to learn new things and teach new things about it because CSS practices change, but, but that's, that's their jam and they just keep doing it forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and that might be more personality. Are you okay with doing that kind of thing forever? Or do you get bored and want to move on to something else? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, getting hired at different companies and working on product development teams. Sure. Because I believe that uh, most good companies will expect you to be a generalist, able to adapt with the company and grow and uh, move in new directions as technology needs evolve. And as a result of that, my experience has been that good companies will expect you to be a master of whatever skills tools, technologies, languages you've worked with in the past and not with the tools, technologies, and languages that they are currently working with. Or to put it in a tweetable bite-sized bit, I would say bad companies expect you to be a master of their skills and good companies expect you to be a master of your skills. Ooh, that's deep. That's polished. Ding. Did you see a little twinkle on the last sentence? Yeah, I did. That's amazing. Uh, it's amazing while you're thinking or while you're talking, I was, I was trying to measure that against my experience, both hiring and being interviewed. And maybe this means I haven't been around good companies, but I feel like, uh, there's just a lot of inertia pushing against that idea where, you know, like great technical people, they'll pick up new things. They'll solve problems in general and, and the technology doesn't matter as much to them. But there's still, I mean, if you are going to go work at Google, they want you to know like Linux system calls and like, really, uh, I mean, not in huge detail, but, but it, you don't have to be a, like a Java expert, but you should know like HTTP and how caching works and, and kind of server side mm, okay. skills that, that I don't know where those fall in the generalist versus specialist spectrum. You know, certainly a kind of specialization. Yeah, so... I, I would actually be really surprised. I haven't interviewed at Google, but I would be really surprised if they said, well, he was a great candidate, but he didn't know the Linux ioctal syscall, so we're just going to pass. I mean, it's not... I, I don't even know what that is, uh, but it's it's like read. It's not like ioctal. But but oh, you, okay. should, you should have some, some understanding of what your operating system is doing when okay. when you open a file or something like that. So they expect you to have a certain amount of depth about like what your products have been built on. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I 
and and I'm not trying to make this about Google. I'm saying in in particular, just if if someone is just an amazing front end developer and they've proven they can build awesome scalable code on the front end, uh, and they're interviewing at a company that just really needs to build out an API, it's it's really hard to say like, yeah, they make mm. beautiful things that animate well and they're easy to maintain, but they don't know anything about databases, and so yeah. we're gonna we're going to take that chance on them because they've proven they're good technologists in general. Just by virtue of having built beautiful user interfaces? Yeah, so hmm. maybe I misunderstood what you're saying, but I feel like there is there is some amount of uh, expectation of, of knowledge based around kind of uh, the, those genres we talked about earlier. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But see, the, the situation you just described would be a case of someone having, like, let's say that was their only experience doing front-end development. So they've specialized in front-end, and then they're approaching a company, and, and, you know, if I were interviewing that person, and I needed a back-end developer, and I can tell this person wants to do front-end, I would think, well, this isn't a great match. But if they told me they wanted to do back-end, then I would explore how well they have mastered their front-end stuff that they've done. You know, and then try to measure how well they would be able to adapt into a back-end world. Yeah. And I would expect them to have mastered, you know, that. If they've been in the front-end for years and they, they say, I've, you know, I have a high level of proficiency in front-end, I would try to find people on my team who could interview them and assess that proficiency. You know? Yeah. That's just real hard to do. Yeah, it <laughs> I mean, is. No, no it one is. knows how to interview anyways, but then if you, if you widen the scope that much... Yeah, it's it's true. It's much easier with inexperienced people to say, did they, you know, did they get a an appropriate amount of proficiency in the tools and technologies they've used in their first two years? Say, um, it's a lot easier to answer that question than, oh, this is a ten year CSS expert. Let's see if they really know CSS. Like, I couldn't answer that. You know, I couldn't <laughs> assess that. <laughs> you you pretend like it's a quiz, and really you're just like having them fix your broken fix CSS. all your bugs yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right let me throw this brain teaser at you and then they, they like delete all your pound or bang important rules or whatever and your site works now they go yeah, you solved my riddle <laughs> 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 congratulations so when it comes we should probably talk about the difference between like a full-time employee and a consultant or contractor in this area, specialization. We, yeah. talked, we, we touched on it a little bit, but should we go a little deeper? Sure. So I, I think I'll just restate what I said earlier, that as a consultant or a contractor, you are aiming to deliver, well, the, the model that I see a lot is people are trying to deliver the maximum amount of value in the minimum amount of time, which means you ain't got time to like spin up on new technology on the client's dime. That's that's kind of how a lot of uh, clients' interactions work. That's not how all of them are. Um, but in that case, they don't want to pay someone who is a good developer to learn Angular or whatever. They want someone who is an mm -hmm. Angular expert who can just come in, get a bunch of stuff done, they spend their own time learning it and then and then they kind of help the team grow and, and maybe stay on for a while, maybe leave after a little bit. Um, so you're kind of encouraged to specialize as, as a consultant so that you can sell that to people. So you can say, hey, you are not paying me to read docs. You're paying me to make your applications better. And I will do that. And I am superhuman and I am flawless and just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Can you see the light shining from my fingertips? <laughs> Imagine that light in your code. Uh, <laughs> Jameson's really good at marketing, by the way. I'm so good. Yeah, I didn't do my sales pitch this week. I'll do it again next week and compare it. It'll be so much better than, than before. Um, but as a team member, you want to help your team. And that might be a bunch of different stuff. And, and that might mean you identify a problem that a solution doesn't exist on the team yet. And then you have to go learn it. So, uh, I mean, people are much more patient with like learning new technologies for full-time employees as well. And I don't know, it's just, mm -hmm. you're, you're not competing to sell yourself as like the best person for the job at this thing. Like you already worked there. They already like you. They, hopefully they trust you know, you do good work. So they're willing to put up with like Dave disappears for two weeks and it, he comes out knowing a lot more about this thing that will make their business better. Yeah. Yeah. But you certainly wouldn't want to pay a contractor to disappear for two weeks because that might be the full term of the contract. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then they never come back and they're like, Hey, thanks. This will make my next contracts just so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're <laughs> buying the upgrade for your competitors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of it is, uh, it's easier to sell too, or it can be easier to sell as a contractor if you focus, um, because then you're focusing on people who have identified a need themselves. They say, we need an Angular developer. And you say, I'm an Angular developer. Uh, and you kind of find clients e more easily too. So I, mm -hmm. those are the two main pressures, I would say, on encouraging contractors to specialize. Sales as, and, and efficiency. Yeah, I think you're right. Even as a contractor who chooses to specialize in an in-demand technology, that in-demand technology will not outlive your need to be a contractor generally, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So even then, you're still going to need the ability to ramp up on other technologies, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. So maybe like maybe if someone says, should I be a generalist or a specialist, you should just say, what you should do is invest in your ability to learn new technologies and then specialize occasionally, like back to that paint trip thing. Even if you're going to be a contractor, like you better be ready to jump. You know, for example, I knew a contractor who specialized in Flash. And, you know, he was great at Flash. He could crank out Flash apps. When Adobe Air came out, he could crank out these Adobe Air apps like nobody's business. <laughs> and now it was awesome. he is dead. <laughs> and now he is a full-time employee. He has stopped contracting because it's like that was the, a huge boon for his career. But after that, he's just moved on. Yep. And it was like that. I don't have time to spend five years becoming an expert in another technology. Yeah, that's we we've kind of danced around this, but we haven't really said it. Um, where it takes a long time to be a real expert at something, and you you can't invest that time all the time. Yeah, I mean you have to focus for a long time to be an expert, and sometimes you you don't have the opportunity to just invest five or ten years in learning the ins and outs in all the different situations of of something. I mean, if you can yeah, be an exactly. expert in it in, in a month, uh, so can everyone else. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And then Good point. The, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Yep. So what about, is the advice different for people who are just starting out as developers versus people with, say, 10, 20 years of experience? Just, just do what I did. That worked for me. That's the best <laughs> thing to do. It should work for you too. Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> In, in can, that Twitter thread. You can thread. PM Jameson. He'll tell you what to do. Yeah. In that Twitter <laughs> thread, you said Tyler McGinnis said something about that, how everyone's just recommending what they did. Yeah. Here's what I did. It worked great. Yeah. And my, my response to that was that the industry has been so hot for so long that it really didn't matter what you did. You were going to be successful. As long as you were competent, you could be a successful developer in the last 10 years. I sure hope that continues. It might not. Who knows? 
I'm banking on about another 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if the industry could could die at the same time I do, that would just be real convenient for me. <laughs> That'd be great. Sometime if there or thereafter. We could arrange that. Um, yeah, that's, man, that's such a hard question to answer. And you can't even say like, oh, do what you like. Because if you don't know what's out there, how do you know what you like? If If you started programming mm-hmm. five months ago, you, there's so much you haven't done. There's so much I haven't done yet still. Um, yeah, you don't even know it exists. Yeah. So Well, here's what I like. Thing number seven that I don't know exists. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard about like reverse machine unlearning? <laughs> it's this hot new, new That's thing. my favorite. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know how to give good advice. Maybe the advice is go where the best resources to learn are or where you, you learn the best. As a new developer? Yeah. If you are in a boot camp and you feel like your boot camp is great and they focus on front end, like awesome. You can get a job. You can learn. You can kind of branch out from there. Uh, if you have a friend who's like an awesome game programmer and that's what gets you excited and you're going to build a game together, that's cool. Like you'll you'll learn stuff that way. Um, Good point. In other words, step on the stepping stone that's in front of you and don't worry too much about other ways in. Yes. That sounds much more zen than the way I, uh, I said it. I was thinking also that as a new developer, in the scope of everything you know, you are by definition a specialist in whatever it is you learn. <laughs> you know, because it's like, well, I'm going to study front end for a month. Okay, I'm a front end specialist. Why? Not because I'm an expert at front end, but because I don't know anything else. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have been saying the word expert a lot, and that's very different from specialist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think when you're starting out, you really do probably want to just narrow your focus into something tractable that you can really understand and get your head all the way around before you start, uh, you know, jumping and going all over the map because you really can. Like if you do a, try to do a breadth first uh, learning run on the whole computer science dumb, you'll end up nowhere. You'll end up with no depth. So I think you're just going to have to specialize a little bit when you start. And most jobs will naturally encourage you to specialize because when you're new, you're not going to do contracting. You're usually going to be uh, in a product development team, right? And you'll be forced to specialize because you're going to write code on some part of the product and then you're going to become a specialist on that part. And that's going to be front end. That might be JavaScript. That might be PHP, whatever it is. Um, You're going to become a specialist there just because that's the full scope of everything you know. Yeah, I I think... Okay, here's here's Jameson's pithy advice. Dave, you've had lots of non-pithy, just solid advice. I would say whatever you do, be intentional about it. If you start out as a, as a PHP developer, don't just stay a PHP developer for 10 years just because that's what you do. Um, if you like it and you believe that that's what makes you happy, then that's a great reason to stay. But you should at least spend some time making sure that's a thing that you like. And for some people, that means explore other options. For some people, that just means kind of like read about it and check out the other stuff. But Mm -hmm. um, if you're not intentional about whether you're a generalist or a specialist, you can just end up where your skill set doesn't match what you like. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and you've either Mm -hmm. specialized by by accident or generalized by accident, and you don't want to do that work anymore. And then it's a lot of work to kind of retrain yourself especially if you're kind of further along in your career. So you've higher salary expectations and and you got to like maybe take a pay cut to go work on something you enjoy more. It's, 
it's easier to to figure out what you want to do and do it than figure out you didn't want to do the thing you're doing now. All right, so now I'm going to share a tiny bit of advice from my own personal experience, which I know is like not totally applicable to everybody, but I think there might be a cool lesson here, at least for me. And that is that right when I got out of college, I took my first job and I was writing a ton of Java code. And I did this for 18 months and I went really deep into Java. I mean, I was studying the garbage collector and I was looking at application, uh, what are they called? App servers and how they did like hot reloading of classes and all this stuff. And I got way into it and I really liked it. But I quit that job after 18 months and I went and started writing C++ at my second job. And I would have never learned C++ if I hadn't changed jobs. And I, for me, and I think this is true for many people, it is really hard to, be, to really become a specialist or even just to extend your generalist understanding to a, something that doesn't, uh, isn't really needed for your day job. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard. People are like, oh yeah, for just sure. go learn JavaScript on your own. It's like, it's hard, it's hard to find the motivation to do that. But when I was on the job, I felt completely justified really digging into the Java virtual machine. Mm-hmm. Then I went and learned C++ and I dug way into C++. Then I quit that job and started writing Python code and JavaScript code. And it was like, every time I did it, I was really specializing again. Like I was re-specializing, but there's no way I would have gone that deep had I not been full-time employed working in those technologies. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like a hobbyist JVM fan. <laughs> yeah, like that doesn't, like I'm sure there's people out there who are like that, but come on, it's really rare, right? It's rare and and usually those people end up working on the thing that is exactly, their hobby. Exactly, exactly. So. So my advice is to um, be a specialist for the stuff that you're working on right now and then learn how to quickly change specialties if you're going to work as a full-time employee like I have for the last 15 years. Yeah. My advice is just become really, really independently wealthy. (laughs) Uh, And then you can start your own startup that uses whatever technology you want to specialize in. Become a specialist in getting rich. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we even talking about programming languages? Oh, uh, you don't even need soft skills if you're rich, because then people are all like sycophantic to you. And <laughs> wealth is everything you say is witty. You don't. You don't need to be funny. I mean, you are funny by definition because you course. have money and smart. Oh, that's rich. That's what people say when you make jokes. <laughs> That's why I laugh at you, Jameson. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Super rich. It always comes back to money with us. We need to have an episode on how to freaking get rich and then we can just forget about everything else. The episode on how to get rich is all these episodes. All of them together will just make you rich. There's actually a secret code. If you follow the right sequence of time slices from episode <laughs> one through 24, oh, you can get rich. I thought you were going to say the secret where you just think real mm-hmm. hard about getting money and then you have it. Mm-hmm. That's also encoded into our episodes, <laughs> <laughs> that very message. Well, hope that helped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah, I, I feel like we ended up kind of in the middle. You, you got to do both. You'll specialize um, by focusing for a long time. Uh, by building stuff, you'll kind of specialize in the things you use to build them. And then keep in mind that there are exceptions to this rule, like another couple of people that participated in the thread. One was Ryan Florence. He has specialized in not just front end, 
not just JavaScript on the front end, but React, a certain web framework on the front end. He does training on this framework and uh, has done very well for himself ever since he quit his job about a year ago and started doing this. So he's, you know, he's specialized, but guess what? He told me, he's like, as soon as the React wave hits the beach and crashes, I'm going to have to find something else to do. So, you know, that's just how it is. So specialties won't last forever. Mm-hmm. But don't measure yourself against someone who has chosen to dedicate their entire life to this one niche tool. Oh, yeah. And say, well, I'm not a specialist because I don't, I'm not that, you know? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the whole social media unhappiness thing, right? You're, you're comparing yourself against people's best version of their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're great. You are a specialist. You're a specialist at being awesome because you listen to this podcast. I, I'm a specialist at being special. <laughs> I put the special in specialist. You sure do, Dave. So glad. Well, that's all I have. Do you have anything Me else? Me too. No, I, I believe this question has been thoroughly and completely answered. It has. You're, or something. You're welcome. <laughs> Dave, how can people hear more from us? Well, as if you could possibly want to hear more after all of this delicious audio you just heard. But if you do, go to softskills.audio, our home on the web. You can get in touch with us there. You can find links to send us direct messages to ask your own questions, which we would be happy and thrilled to answer on the show. And you can also follow us on Twitter at softskillseng. Our Twitter following has grown quite a bit. Um, I think we're pushing 500 followers now, which is great. We're just so happy to have this big, happy soft skills engineering family on Twitter. We're going to need another bit pretty soon. Yeah, we to are. Keep track we're of about our to cross Twitter 512. followers. Yeah. Going from nine bits to 10 bits. Uh, I'm glad you thought of that because it would have taken me longer. <laughs> Binary math is a soft skill, actually. Oh. Oh, I'm unqualified. Should, we should do an episode on that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Great. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. See ya.